the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country cheers with me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Oh, good morning. Thanks so much for being with us. Ain't nothing quite like having a three-day weekend and starting the work week on a Tuesday. That's a beautiful thing. You enjoyed your day off, I hope, celebrating, of course, your own labor all year long with that uh, fantastic air show at the uh, air, at the uh, at Burke yesterday. Uh, picnic in, hot weather, pools. It was an awful lot of fun. But now, my friends, it is time to get back to work, and we do have an awful lot of very important work to do. So thanks for being with us. It's the fifth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And as it is a Tuesday, how about this for a blessing? We get to start our work week with a Kersenau day. How about that? Peter Kersenau will be with us about one hour from now. He's got lots of thoughts on lots of things, as you know he always does. So I'm very much looking forward to... Uh, Talking with Peter Kersenau. And then at 11.10, we've got a couple of other guests who are going to be joining us this morning. At the top of hour number three, we're going to go into uh, one of the more important, I think, school board battles of all of the districts that are looking to uh, replace board members or having elections and so forth. Mentor is as big of a mess as there is in Northeast Ohio. I'll just tell you that point blank. I've been talking to a lot of people who have been following this for a very long time, who have been dealing with the wokeness uh, and the danger posed by uh, mentor schools. Um, and now there are two 
board member, let me rephrase, two candidates for the school board who would like to be board members to try to bring and return some semblance of sanity, if not just slamming the brakes on a little bit of the uh, the radical uh, stuff coming out of the current men of schools. Rosia Polo and uh, Gil Martello are two candidates for Mentor School Board. We're going to talk to them together at 1110 because they're kind of running a side-by-side campaign as they uh, both look for spots there to try to, again, save Mentor Schools and uh, and perhaps uh, maybe chart a course for some other districts to do the same thing. So we have Peter Kersenow, we have Rosia Polo and Gil Martello are going to be our guests today, and of course... You are my most important guest each and every day. Uh, 216 Either one of those numbers gets you here. Now, before we do anything else, let's go ahead and pledge allegiance to that flag of ours. Face your flag if you have one and stand if you can. Put your hand on your heart and join us. If you are a believer in the unconstitutional limitations that are about to be placed on all Americans, because of Plandemic 2.0, then you don't believe in the liberty the flag represents, and you are therefore exempt from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee over there next to that socialist Marxist former quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So, um, <laughs> one jab, two jabs, three jabs more. How many times has the First Lady of the United States of America, Dr. Jill Biden, taken the poison dart? Uh, probably at least three, I'm guessing probably four or five. Who knows how, what number she's on her way up to now. And yet, the headline, First Lady Jill Biden has tested positive for COVID-19 for a second time. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> and I just can't get enough of it. Uh, and I say this because, um, well, for a billion different reasons, but one of them is uh, the fact that I know she's in no danger because, as you know and as I know, that the uh, the, the the vid that uh, we've been dealing with and we dealt with for three years has a 99.5% recovery rate. <laughs> so they, she is going to be just fine. But I love the fact that she has taking, taken how many darts? They call them vaccines. They are lying to you. Vaccines, by their definition, inoculate one against infection from said virus. These do not inoculate you. And as a matter of fact, here's what they're saying. Quote, this evening, the first lady tested positive for COVID-19. She is currently experiencing mild symptoms, and she will remain at their home in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. The first lady is double vaccinated. Oh, here we go. Twice boosted, according to a statement from her communications director last year. So double vaxxed, twice boosted. And boy, that's reminding me of something. I might have to pull out pull out an oldie buddy goodie uh, on that one uh, very shortly. The last time the 72-year-old tested positive for the virus was August of 2022. Uh, following the first lady's positive test for COVID-19. Did I, did I mention that Jill Biden is positive for COVID again? <laughs> 
last time. Or I'm sorry, following uh, Biden, President Biden was administered a COVID test this morning. The president tested negative. The president will test at a regular cadence this week and monitor for symptoms. The announcement comes amid rising COVID cases and hospitalizations throughout the country at several hospital systems uh, that have reinstated mask-wearing requirements for patients and staff. And as a matter of fact, yes, here it comes. Jill has got it. And Joe's probably going to get it again, despite how many times now has he been taking? Is he taking the jab? And by the way, I'm taking them at their word on this, right? I'm taking them at their word that all of those on-camera jabs that Joe and his team have taken have been actual jabs and not uh, sugar water or some other sort of uh, you know empty uh, 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 I don't know concoction in that syringe that is not going to be something that is dangerous as the poison jabs have been for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of others so but but if we just take them at their word they have told us that they took the jabs multiple times and they've got uh and they and yet they continue to get covid it's just kind of hilarious what does the um uh, press secretary say about all of it corinne jean pierre by the way you know who she is right corinne jean pierre the black gay press secretary I point that out only because they wanted you to know that she was historic. She wants you to know that she's historic because she's black and she's gay. So the black and gay woman who were uh, access press secretary says this. I think you've heard from the uh, FDA and CDC. Uh, they've made an announcement on the new vaccine. Uh, so certainly uh, they... Why are you still calling it a vaccine? Why are you lying to the American people? Vaccines inoculate people against infection. This does not. Stop it. They will have an, there'll be an updated vaccine September. It's not a vaccine. Stop using that word. You know it is false. Mid-September, I believe. So uh, we know that, as you all know, vaccinations against COVID-19 remains... They are not vaccinations if they do not inoculate you against infection. The safest protection for avoiding hospitalization, long-term health outcomes, and death, which is why we are we are going to be encouraging... Uh, Except for the people that did indeed get hospitalized, that did have long-term health problems, and did indeed die as a result of those poison darts. Americans to stay up to date on their vaccines. I would refer you to DHS as they have, as you I just mentioned, FDA and, and CDC uh, mentioned that they'll have uh, the new vaccines by uh, September, mid-September. Except that those are not vaccines, not in any way, shape, or form. And no, they will not prevent anybody from getting any contagious respiratory disease. That's the reality of the situation. But it's not stopping them from pushing them and promoting them and indeed... Let's see if Biden going into a re-election resorts to the mandates that he did when he first took office. Mandating all federal workers, all contracted workers who work for federal, uh, or that uh, have contracts with the federal government, military, people to fly, people to move from point A to point B, to gather in public, wait and find out if these become mandated again now that he's heading into a re-election year. He's already in a 46-46 tie, according to the most recent recent uh, Wall Street Journal poll, with Donald Trump. He's already in a very precarious position, getting only a 34% approval rating for his handling of the economy. How does he think it will work? I wonder if he's even pondering how it would work if he wants to mandate more vaccinations, as they like to call them, 
mandating more of a, uh, uh, a return to masking. I wonder how he thinks that will go over with Americans. But just so you know, the little uh, Keebler elf who held this country under his thumb for three years, his name is Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's going to try to continue to strap those stupid things to your faces. By many. How many? I don't know. That they don't work. And that the data concludes that they didn't work in the first go-round. Respond to that on masks. Yeah, well, that's not so. I mean, when you're talking about at the population level, that the data are less strong than knowing that if you look on a situation as an individual protecting themselves or protecting them from spreading it, there's no doubt that masks work. Different studies. How does this man, first of all, how is he still free? How is he still free? How has he not been in... And then second of, all, second of all, after being wrong for three consecutive years, how can he go back to saying that masks work after studies were finally done that proved they do not? And how would anybody, why does anybody want to put this guy on television? Oh, wait a minute, it's on CNN, so I understand. And studies give different percentages of advantage of wearing it, but there's no doubt that the weight of the studies, and there have been many studies, indicate the benefit of wearing masks. Horse cur app. Dr. Marty Makari uh, was, uh, was one of those who conducted studies and one of those who read the research of the stu- on the studies of the ridiculous masks that were never, repeat, never, intended to stop respiratory viruses. Respiratory viruses, including the COVID virus, are so small, the particles are so small, they go through those masks like they're not even there, which is why the entire thing is nothing more than a PSYOP. It's, one could call it political theater to see how many people that they can force into these things, but I call it, um, I call it a PSYOP. It's psychological control to see exactly how many people that they can convince to strap these things to their faces. Uh, because if you can control the people, control their movements, control their actions, control their appearance, then you can control anything and everything about their lives. Dr. Marty Makari. Well, first of all, the study that the interviewer is asking Dr. Fauci about is something called the Cochrane Review. It's a summary, comprehensive analysis of 150 studies on masks. It found that masks had no impact on community transmission. Now, it doesn't mean if you put two people into a room and they have... Can we, can we get that part again there? What, what did it find? Studies on masks. It found that masks had no impact on community transmission. No impact on community transmission. No impact on community transmission. Now, it doesn't mean if you put two people into a room and they have very tight-fitting N95 masks for a brief 20-minute interaction that you're not going to reduce the risk of transmission. It's believed it does. But on a community level, when we tell the population, when we tell kids in schools, including toddlers, to wear masks, it had absolutely no impact on transmission. Could you repeat that part again, Dr. McCarry? Including toddlers to wear masks. It had absolutely no impact on transmission. You understand the difference between these studies? We talked about this two years ago when this whole, th- two and a half years ago when this whole thing started. If it, what they did 
they the the studies that they did in order to prove using air quotes for the word prove that masks help stop transmission is they would they strapped these masks on dummies and they pretty much super glued them to the faces of the dummies to the point where there was no gap whatsoever uh in them and then they, you know, put some smoke particles or whatever in the room to see if they uh, it got in through the sides or the top of the top of the mask. And you say, oh, it didn't. Look at that. It works great. That, of course, would assume that everybody is wearing an N95 mask and super gluing it to their faces to the point where there's no gaps, there's no uh, open areas or anything else where their air that they're exhaling could get out and that the air that they're inhaling would be completely clean coming in. It, it doesn't happen. It's not possible, not to mention N95s aren't what the overwhelming majority of the American people were wearing the first time around or will wear this time. They were wearing bandanas. Oh, okay, you can get on the plane as long as you've got a bandana on your face. They're wearing the cloth ones that are being specially, uh, you know, uh, uh, knitted for them or, or, you know, manufactured just for, for decorations with messages or pictures or whatever. Uh, and not to mention the surgical masks, which also do not seal the face. They're putting all of these things out there saying this is what needs to be done. And that's what Dr. Makari is pointing out here. When you talk about, talk about <clears throat> the general population, when you talk about the mass, masses of the population uh, that putting masks on are going to stop this uh, this virus from being transmitted from one to another. It is absolutely 100% a provable, scientifically provable lie. It is absolutely not. So Dr. Fauci did not refute the study. He didn't try to poke holes in it. He changed the subject. He created this arbitrary sort of delineation that there's individual masking and community masking and individual may work and community may not. But we've spent a tremendous amount of energy and our time arguing over masking. It has an intervention that is essentially no benefit whatsoever. But we live in a new era of blind allegiance to certain public health officials. And that, I think, is the tragedy of it. There it is. And there it is, my friends. Blind allegiance to certain public health officials Blind allegiance to scientists who are lying to us about what the actual science says. Blind allegiance because this is not about keeping you healthy. This is not about making sure that you don't get this respiratory virus. This is about controlling you, your movements, your habits, your travel, your speech, your employment, controlling the American people. That's what this was about for the first go around, and they are now starting it again. And mark my words, we will be right back to the same place we were a couple of years ago. By mid-2024, you will not be able to go get in line to vote. You will be able to do mail-in voting. You will be able to do drop boxes, so you don't have to be around anybody else, especially because, well, the masking doesn't even work. So uh, the, the threat is just too great for you to gather in public places. This is unbelievable. But we will continue to try to share the truth. We will continue to poke holes in all of their lies and make sure that, the, this is the key part, make sure that the government officials we can have correspondence and dialogue with are doing everything they can to stop this from getting as wildly out of control as it did last time around. And you have my word that I will do everything I can to reach every uh, member of Congress, every leader, every government official that we can to make sure that we do not get taken in by this this ridiculous theater again. 
It's 926. We're going to take a break. At the bottom of the hour break, we've got time for some phone calls on the flip. Uh, Kirsten out at 1010 and uh, a couple of school board candidates at 1110 you're going to want to hear from. Stay here. It's always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 934. Good Tuesday morning to you. Gosh, it's, it's, it sounds glorious to say, doesn't it? Good Tuesday morning to you. It's, it's kind of a Monday, but uh, it's a Tuesday, and that's just awesome. We're that much closer to another weekend. I love it. Uh, so uh, we got Kirsten out coming up in about... Uh, Half an hour. Peter Kirstenau wrote a letter, um, which I think is uh, very, very important. Um, he wrote a letter about Title IX and the potential changes to Title IX. We're going to discuss this with him. Uh, I got a copy of it, and uh, he submitted this. Um, it's the process for adjudicating claims of sex discrimination. And he talked about how 11 years ago the Office for Civil Rights and the Department of Education issued a Dear Colleague letter which repeated the claim about one in five women are victims of completed or attempted sexual assault while in college. He goes on to talk about the protection of women by Title IX, which is exactly what it was intended to do, and now how it will be diluted by allowing males, biological males, to be covered by the protections of Title IX and thus actually harming the women that were originally protected uh, in a variety of manners, not involving necessarily sexual assault, but all kinds of other things. It's a very detailed letter. And we're going to have uh, Dr. P. Or Dr. I just gave him a, just gave him a Ph.D. He is a J.D., of course. But we're going to talk to Peter Kirsten now about that coming up at uh, at 1010 this morning. So going going back now, I was do, doing a little bit of medical stuff here because of what they're trying to do with Plandemic 2.0. And we will get Kirsten now, by the way to talk about that stuff, too, about the forced masking or the attempted return to forced masking, about the attempted forcing of Americans to take new jabs, uh, about how Dr. Jill Biden has uh, has tested positive for COVID again. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't not laugh. <laughs> I can't not laugh when I consider that, when I think about that. Uh, these people just continue to get it again and again and again, and they continue to get shot after shot after shot. Um, at any rate, uh, staying on the medical front, I want to share this one with you. Because we have coming up on November 7th, so we're, what, just about two months, two months from Thursday would be away from uh, that uh, that actual voting day. There will be early voting, which we'll have to talk about as well, but uh, in which we will have a constitutional amendment to the Ohio Constitution, uh, which would force any time on-demand abortions to be able to be performed legally in the state of Ohio. A constitutional amendment, not a bill that can this be quickly stricken or uh, repealed. No, 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 no. It's not a bill that could be signed into law and then repealed. It's a constitutional amendment. It'll be there forever. The only way to undo it would be another constitutional amendment. And it would provide abortion access for all, no matter what age, and without anybody else having a say in it, including parents and, and, uh, and uh, uh, caregivers. So we'll tie that to this story. Now Joe Biden, uh, Biden, Joe Biden wants to force every employer in America to pay for abortions for their workers. Let me say that again. Every employer 
would have to fund abortions if Joe Biden is successful in this endeavor. Last month, the Biden administration issued a mandate attempting to turn companies and small businesses into abortion funders. Proposed regulations that the Biden administration announced for implementing the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act are rightly coming under fire from pro-life advocates. Why? Because it's not about protecting pregnant workers, pregnant women who are workers. Let's be sure that we understand that. Because it's about giving them opportunities to have their abortions paid for by their their employers. The U.S. Equal Opportunity, or excuse me, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission's proposed rule hijacks the bipartisan law, which does not address abortion by name, to impose an abortion mandate on virtually every employer in the country, including pro-life and Christian employers who oppose abortion. The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act requires every employer to reasonably accommodate, that's quote, a worker's pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions. Now, you might say, well, where does that say anything about abortion? Well, in those words, it does not. Reasonably accommodate a worker's pregnancy, of course, means helping them along, especially if they are still working while pregnant and giving them some of the needs or uh, uh, meeting some of the needs that they have and giving them the support that they need. But this has been expanded now by the Biden administration proposing that, quote, related medical conditions include termination of pregnancy, including via abortion. Let me say that again. The Pregnant Workers Fairness Act requires that employers reasonably accommodate a worker's, quote, pregnancy, childbirth, or related medical conditions, end quote. And Biden now is taking that last part, related medical conditions, and including abortion among them. If the mandate is implemented, writes Life News, it would require employees with no employers, excuse me, with no more than 15 employees to create reasonable accommodations for the workers' abortions, even if doing so violates their pro-life or religious beliefs. How can Washington bureaucrats take a law that could prevent abortions and turn it into an instrument to encourage them? Well, when the pro-abortion Biden administration is writing the regulations, they can do anything they want. At least that's the possible outcome of this PWFA, Pregnant Workers Fairness Act. The law passed as an amendment to last year's omnibus spending bill. This is what I hate about omnibus spending bills. Gave pregnant women common sense rights in the workplace. What kinds of things? Well, it would give pregnant workers the right to, for instance, take more frequent bathroom breaks than other workers. Or carry water with them while they're uh, uh, you know, on a job site. Whatever it is that they might be doing giving them a little bit of assistance because their bodies require more. They're with child, for crying out loud. That's that's okay. The measure seems like a pro-family measure, a pro-pregnant woman measure, but it is, of course, not. Not when the Biden administration gets hold of it. So when the Federal Employee uh, uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission released the proposed rules, including abortion as one of the, quote, related medical conditions, and if that proposal gets finalized and abortion becomes subject to the PWFA, most employers then would have to give their workers leave to obtain an abortion or abortion-related services. Not only is Biden pushing that abortion agenda on America, 
As always, he wants to force the pro-abortion mantra on pro-life Christians as well. If you are an employer, such as a church or a school that is Christian or faith-based, you would still have to pay for abortions, even though it is something that violates the tenets of your faith. Worse yet, this abortion vacation mandate could also apply to religious organizations and entities during a consideration of the PWFA in Congress last December. James Langford, senator from Oklahoma, offered a one-paragraph amendment that would have exempted religious entities from PWFA provisions violating their faith. But despite the common-sense nature of this provision, 53 senators voted the amendment down. And that would mean some some of your Republican senators would have made that decision. Now the EEOC's proposed rule has put official, officially put uh, religious liberty in jeopardy for countless churches and religious groups. Of course, I'll, I'll, I don't want to divert too far into just that, because the fact is that even non-Christian or non-faith-based employers that are pro-life, just flat-out employers would have to pay for this care. Alliance Defending Freedom Senior Counsel Julie Marie Blake opposed the rule and is urging Americans to contact Congress to oppose it. I concur. Quote, Congress sought to help pregnant workers, not force employers to facilitate and fund abortions. The Biden administration is hijacking a bipartisan law that doesn't even mention abortion to forcibly require every employer in America to provide reasonable accommodations for their workers' elective abortions. She added, the administration's unlawful proposal violates state laws protecting the unborn and employers' pro-life and religious beliefs. The administration doesn't have the legal authority to smuggle an abortion mandate into a transformational pro-life, pro-woman law. Alliance Defending Freedom stands ready to continue defending unborn lives and to oppose this egregious federal overreach. It is exactly that. It is every bit as egregious as it sounds. But I bring this up, of course, for obvious reasons. State of Ohio is about to make a huge decision on, on November 7th. You're about to decide whether you want unlimited, anytime, for any reason, on-demand abortions with no restrictions, including and up to the moment of birth. See, Roe versus Wade being destroyed was a good thing, but it has unleashed the hounds of hell in states all over the country, including this one, and in federal offices like Joe Biden's. The hounds of hell saying, fine, you wanted to return it to the states? Fine. Here's what we'll do. We're going to do this regulations with employers. We're going to, we're going to work in each and every state to try to enshrine new abortion freedoms into the each state constitution. I mean, on a, you know, so it's now a, a, you know, a multi-front battle. And of course, they still want to go back and federally, uh, legalize abortion. But just now that they have returned it to the state, to the states, um, we find ourselves in a much more precarious situation than maybe we, we, we were even in, if we're pro-life, uh, uh, than we were in under Roe. It's quite a, it's quite an astounding thing. And I welcome your thoughts on it. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. A lot of medical stuff this morning between the masks and the shots and the abortion rules and the attempt to make uh, employers pay for it and so forth. So I welcome your thoughts. Sally is in Berea. Let's go ahead and bring Sally up on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Sally. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. I wanted to comment about um, underreporting on on the VAERS system. Uh, My husband and I got um, the shots, the two initial ones, when they first came out because we were in a high-risk elderly category, 
and had um, experienced the death of a friend in, in 2020 before the shots came out. And my husband, he had a, a weird um, reaction on his arm, some splotches, red splotches. But the, we sought medical care, and they said, oh, it was just a coincidence. Well, we have common sense, and we decided no useless boosters. We haven't had anything since. And we also had younger family members that had some systemic uh, changes, menstrual and some other things, that because it was soon after but not immediate, oh, well, that's that's not um, applicable. So I think some of the um, reporting has been underreported on VAERS. And also, as far as masks go, we had a lot of discomfort and um, difficulty breathing with the mask, so we're not wearing masks either. So no boosters, no masks. And thank you for the information you provided with the doctor on Friday and your continued coverage. Yeah, Thanks, well, I'm Bob. glad you brought that up, and thank you so much for the call, Sally. And good for you and your and your husband and everybody in your family. You should not be even thinking about wearing those masks. Um, because the one thing that studies have shown, while they have certainly proven that they do not work as a community prevention of, for the spread of a respiratory virus, and those studies are, are like I said, are everywhere, um, what people don't know is that there are other studies showing how dangerous they are, how dangerous it is, and how dangerous it can be to um, Breathe in your own carbon monoxide just every time you exhale it, having it trapped, particularly if you do have the sealed around the cheeks and over the nose uh, N95 masks, how you are sucking that right back in. And doing so for longer than you know 20 minutes in a day can be very, very detrimental to your health. This is not, repeat, not in dispute. You have to be able to breathe in unobstructed oxygen in our, in our atmosphere uh, in order for your, your lungs to, to remain healthy. And the masks themselves are dangerous. Not only do they not protect against COVID, they actually cause more harm uh, than, they, than, than many people even realize. So good for you um, as, as far as that. And as far as um, uh, the masks and the shots and, and everything else that Dr. Malone and I talked about, if you missed that, I, I'm going to post it. I, I haven't done it yet because I did a weekend thing with the Labor Day weekend. But um, I'm going to post it up separately on my uh, my social media pages on Twitter. You can find me there. Just look for my name uh, on Twitter and on Truth Social and on Facebook. And uh, I may even play a replay a portion of this tonight at seven o'clock on our uh, latest podcast with Jack Windsor on Facebook as well. Um, but Doctor Malone was just such a wealth of extraordinarily important information. He's so good, he's so thorough, and he's so knowledgeable because nobody knows more about mRNA tech technology than he does or our RNA technology because he's the co-inventor of it, for crying out loud. So we had him on uh, this past Friday, and just to let you know how serious we take this, um, we're going to have Dr. Peter McCullough on this week, Thursday, 1035, Dr. McCullough is another one of what we might call the frontline doctors who is out there telling the truth about COVID vaccines and about COVID uh, protocols like the masks and so forth. He is also an enemy, an enemy of the pandemic. Um, what do we want to call them? 
I, I would like to call them conspiracists because they are. They are engaged in a conspiracy to um, enslave the American people. They're engaged in a conspiracy to force the American people to do whatever they are told to do, whether it come to you know whether it comes to uh, where they can move freely, where they can congregate in large numbers, whether or not they can uh, travel on public tra- transportation without having one of these uh, face compliant uh, uh, tools strapped to their faces. Um, he's an enemy of those people. Dr. McCullough is telling the truth about uh, COVID and about what it does, which is why he was canceled, just like Dr. Malone was. There are precious few Dr. Marty McCarries out there and Dr. McCullough's out there and Dr. Malone's out there. There are precious few of them. Those who wrote um, and were responsible for the Great Barrington Declaration, those are the individuals who were targeted for elimination from the scientific community despite their entire careers being devoted to virology, epidemiology. I mean, we're talking about the true titans of the medical research world when it comes to uh, um, contagious diseases, when it comes particularly to to contagious respiratory diseases. And these are the people whose lives were devoted to it. Nobody knew more than them. When when they came out and brought their knowledge and their education and their experience in these matters and their studies and told the truth about what was going on, immediately all of their accomplishments were discarded. They oh, Oh, these are quacks. These are conspiracy nuts. No, these shots are safe and effective. Roll up your sleeve and shut up. Uh, these people over there, no, don't leave. They, they deplatformed them. They took them off of YouTube. They took them down off of uh, uh, Google. They took them down off of uh, uh, the social media worlds, you know, social media platforms. They did everything they could to silence them because these individuals were true enemies of the groupthink and the psyop and the social control of the people that the government had been working on. And not to mention the government's partners in all of this, the big pharmaceutical companies who made tens of billions of dollars per quarter during the COVID uh, vaccine hysteria. They made tens of billions of dollars per quarter. You understand that? We're talking about power and profit, profit and power. It is the two biggest drivers of this entire thing the first time around, and now here they come for round two. And people like Dr. Malone, who get in the way of power and profit, well, they got to get got. People like Dr. McCullough, they got to get got too. And that's what they continue to do. So I'm going to continue to put these people on the air here and on my new upcoming uh, interview television program, Deeper Dive with Bob France. It's going to be starting on October 24th on True Blue. The Fast Channel, by the way, which will not be a subscription channel. Right now, True Blue is a a subscription channel. It's where I do my law enforcement uh, program. But that is going to be moved to the Fast Channel. Fast means free ad-supported television. And you're going to be able to get it on Roku and your Fire Sticks and everywhere else. So it's going to be be available for free wherever you stream television. And I'm starting that in October. And I'm going to put every one of these doctors on that I can to give them as much of a platform on the radio side here and on the uh, 
television side there, I will do everything I can to let them continue to spread their messages because they have been targeted for elimination by uh, the conspiracists who are trying to control the population. Just make no mistake about that. So if you missed the interview with Dr. Malone from Friday, you can catch it now at whkradio.com on the podcast page. I will also put it on my social media profiles uh, as soon as I possibly can. And then Thursday, Dr. Peter McCullough will come on and tell us more about the same. All right, 953, we'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Oh, yes, indeed. Hour number two underway now. Seven minutes past 10 o'clock on this Tuesday, the fifth morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. And, uh, yeah, I just posted it. I just got a couple of text messages from friends who said I, they love that montage. Uh, where is it posted? And I just literally during the commercial break, I uploaded it to Rumble. So it's on my Rumble page. It will soon be shared to my Twitter feed and soon be shared to my Facebook page and everywhere else, everywhere else again. I did that, um, when Biden got tested positive for it last year. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I, I put that together. I just, I found a whole bunch of clips of, you know, some of those are Rachel Maddow. Some of those are Fauci. Some of those are just all of the radicals on the left trying to tell us that the COVID vaccines were the answer. That if you took the shot, you wouldn't get COVID. And if you took the shot, you wouldn't spread COVID. And if you took the shot, you wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, receive COVID and so forth. And it was, just, it was a true vaccine. It was an inoculation. And, of course, it's crap. It was crap then. It's crap now. And now Jill Biden, who's been twice jabbed, twice boosted, boosted, has COVID for a second time. So it just continues on and on and on. And this is at the same time, Corrine Jean-Pierre, the black and gay press secretary. Do you know she was black and gay? That was important to them to let us know that. She's historic. She's a black and gay press secretary and telling us that Biden wants us all to take the new jabs as well. For the purpose of what? I don't know. Let's ask Dr. Jill Biden how well that's working out for her all right um it's cursing out time it's a tuesday i almost forgot we got peter kirsten our good friend who is a longest serving member of the united states commission on civil rights he is a cleveland attorney he is a best-selling author he is a columnist he is the host of the kirsten report which you can hear right here all week long on am 1420 the answer peter kirsten good morning my friend good to have you back did you enjoy the fruits of your labor on labor day well, uh, I, I'm not sure if I enjoyed them. I was spending most of my time either doing yard work or editing my book, although I did spend some time with uh, my sister and her husband. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's uh, business as usual, although I appreciate it. The weather was beautiful. It was a little bit warm, a little bit, a little bit hotter than this time of the year normally for yeah. early September. But, uh, but yeah, it was a great, it was a great time to uh, to be off. And I love the fact that we come back to a Tuesday show because that means we get to start our week with Kirsten now. Okay, Pete. Uh, let's dive in. Uh, and I want to start out with Title IX because you uh, were kind enough to share with me a very, very in-depth letter that you wrote, which apparently was um, uh, it was written after, right? Attorney General, Attorney General Yost's written comments about the Biden administration's attempt to change Title IX, the proposed rule to expand Title IX to cover gender identities and so on and so forth and how much damage that's going to do to women 
uh, in a number of ways. So, Pete, why don't you give us a summary of uh, the letter that you wrote and what it means? Yeah, I'll just I'll be very brief because as you were you were just referencing, it was very long and very detailed, and it was actually it was. written before it was before Dave Yost wrote his. It was uh, as soon as the reg was proposed, I sent off a letter because the person who proposed it was the former chair of the Civil Rights Commission. I know her very well. She's now head of the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education, and it's extraordinarily radical. And um, you know what it does basically is it eliminates many reasonable sex distinctions um, or greatly reduces the uh, thresholds for uh, sexual differences and treatment of the sexes in different ways in K-12 through and in other spheres also. But um, there are several components to it. I don't don't want to bore your audience with every single uh, part of it. But one of them that has particular resonance with respect to high school and college is the lowering of proof thresholds in sexual harassment uh, cases or sexual disciplinary cases that uh, if, you know, you spend any amount of time looking at the Internet or, you know, reading accounts of what happens on college campuses, there have been a number of students whose lives have been destroyed. Not just have they been expelled or adjudicated or falsely accused, but when you're accused of sexual harassment, it's something that follows you forever and ever, amen. You know, you, you never get rid of the taint. And lo and behold, contrary to what some radical feminists say, there are cases of, uh, false cases of allegations of sex uh, harassment. And uh, there have been a number of lives that have been destroyed. After the fact, you find out that, uh, you know, these things didn't happen or they didn't happen as stated. And uh, these poor individuals have been, you know, gone through the mill, spent all kinds of money, and now are pariahs. So um, in terms of adjudicating claims of sex harassment or sex discrimination, you know, I argued that the standards should not be lowered, that there should be, you know, a right to confront the accused. All the due process standards to which we are entitled in almost every other endeavor uh, should pertain here, uh, but uh, they... Uh, meaning the Office of Civil Rights of the Department of Education, want to lower those standards. Again, career-ending allegations. If these allegations are made, nobody's going to touch the individual who's even accused, and we've seen this over and over again. Mm-hmm. And a number of appellate courts have expressed alarm about this, yet the Biden administration does not care. They have a radical uh, leftist uh, feminist agenda that is inconsistent with due process, and by lowering these standards, they make it almost, not impossible, but extremely difficult to mount a credible defense to mere allegations of sex harassment or uh, sexual assault or anything else like that. That's one component out of it, but most of the letter was directed at a couple of other things. Uh, mm-hmm. The pregnancy discrimination standards and also the trans and gender identity standards. Uh, the Biden administration doesn't think, for example, apparently that there are two sexes. Um, they are on the side of Leah Thomas, basically, and against Riley Gaines. They don't think that schools should be in the position, and I'm not, I'm, I'm, I may be summarizing this a little too much or, or generalizing too much, but it's essentially the case that they don't observe sexual distinctions when it comes to restrooms and locker rooms mm-hmm. and say that students should be able to use the locker room or restroom that pertains to their gender identity. Now, the good news is 
that when I first alerted people to this on uh, National Review about a year ago, um, the proposed reg got more comments than any other comment in history. They got, ten, I don't even remember the total, total amount. It was tens of thousands of comments. And these comments are sent by people uh, through this portal uh, to comment about things, proposed regs, that uh, may have an impact on their business, on their lives, etc. And uh, the various agencies that are proposing the regs that are subject of comment are to take those things into consideration when they make these rules. And if they don't, they are subject to challenge. Well, they got overwhelmed by sane people because that's the best way or the, that's the opposite of the best way of describing these regs. Um, merely allowing individuals, and we've seen the ramifications of this, to select the restrooms of their choice or the locker rooms of their choice without any kind of safeguards or provisions for protecting modesty, etc., is simply contrary to thousands of years of human existence, to our culture, to, frankly, sane norms, and there have been a number of examples, as you know, um, uh, various schools, school districts um, that have shown where these people identify, these, these men who identify as women, and they go into locker rooms and restrooms, and a number of females have been the subject of sexual assault. But you don't have to go to that degree. I mean, simple modesty, simple civilizational modesty and decorum require that you have some element of modesty. And, you know, there are ways you can accommodate individuals, if that's what your aim is, uh, that doesn't impinge upon the privacy rights of the majority. But the administration is taking a radical position, an, an almost Soviet position on this, and uh, it's basically daring average parents and Americans to challenge this. So I'm challenging it, and I would encourage others to challenge it and make your positions known, because we see more and more often that average parents, whether on the left or right, put their kids first and understand these kinds of proposed regs to be sheer lunacy. And we have to speak up. Don't shrug your shoulders and simply say, well, somebody else will do it or, you know, they're not going to do anything. No, they will. They will, if they, especially going into an election year. If the type of public opprobrium that we see being visited upon this administration and so many other spheres is visited upon them in their rulemaking, yeah, they'll, they'll make some adjustments. Now, they're going to tons of pressure from the professional and radical left and it's not going to be easy, but it will happen. They still count the votes, especially in an election year. Yeah, um, tons of pressure from the radical left. What I want to know is who's applying the the uh, pushback on that besides you? Uh, are there enough? Because everything you're talking about is so extraordinarily important. And by the way, I did not realize this was written before Yost uh, was a year ago. Yeah. Um, I thought it was more recent, but um, but it doesn't matter. It's still relevant. And and so who is providing the other side of this? Who is pushing back against this radicalism? Not, uh, not on enough. Of, on behalf of girls, on behalf of parents concerned about the protection of their daughters and so forth. Yeah, not enough, position, not enough people in positions that afford a megaphone. By that I mean our elected officials. Now, we have more local elected officials in different jurisdictions doing that. But we don't have the kind of pushback that you would hope to get on a national scale from, say, congressional Republicans, 
Uh, you see it from a DeSantis, for example, and maybe to some extent uh, Ramaswamy has talked about this, but very few other candidates have even touched this thing. And we need that kind of pushback. So ordinary Americans. Why do you think that is, Peter, and, if I may? Why do you just your, your opinion? Why do you think this yeah. isn't being pushed by more, you know, whether they be candidates for the presidency or, like you said, congressional Republicans? Yeah, I think they think that this is a topic that is too, uh, I'll use a professional term here, icky. In other words, they don't know that if they address this topic the way 90% of Americans want them to address this topic, that they won't get significant blowback, that they're somehow, I don't know, you know, I don't know what they would be called. But the mainstream media, as you know, and many leftist institutions, which means almost every institution, is fully on board with this radicalization of sex and uh, sexual identity. And if you cue to traditional norms, you're going to be attacked by these institutions and these radicals. So they prefer not to get into the fray. They, they prefer simply to address items that have a good 60-40 split where they can rally the base. What they don't understand I is... I feel like this is that or more. Yeah, it is. It's more I, than that. You're right. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's a misunderstanding on their part and, frankly, a sign of cowardice on their part. Yes. We need... We need People, in, especially Republicans, who have a little bit of a backbone because all of our institutions in this country are under assault to the extent they haven't already been completely captured by the left. And we're not going to, you know, we're already, you talk to, I know you talk to people all the time on your show, but, uh, you know, talking to ordinary Americans, many people do not recognize various swaths, large swaths of their country anymore. And it's happening so rapidly, it's dizzying. And I'll mention my favorite author again. Victor Davis Hanson has been writing eloquent about this, eloquently about this. As an historian, he brings a unique perspective, and he usually does. He piles on the history in, des- in describing the progression that we're currently experiencing. So, yeah, Bob, we should be exhorting every elected official, anybody who has a microphone, to be talking out about these things. These cultural issues are just as important, if not more so, than the economy and national defense. Because if you don't have a strong culture, you're going to have your, your national defense is going to winnow away. It's, it's, you're not going to have the type of robust national identity and defense and, and faith to defend the country. And uh, yet, they're, they're, you know, economy's fine, all those things. You can, you can walk and chew gum at the same time. But this is the kind of stuff that is a game changer. It's civilizational. And if they don't address this, they're not worthy of your vote. Yeah, I, I, I would completely agree with that, Peter. I mean, you know, not to, not to oversimplify it, and, and admittedly, I do have an awful lot of fun playing this all the time, but it's true with Lieutenant Governor Robinson. Eight but two genders. Two it's it's literally just that simple. I don't understand how science, all of human, Ben Shapiro likes to say this all the time too, not just in humanity, but in all mammalian biology, there are two sexes and two sexes only. And if you want to interchange the word sex and gender, which you should, that is it. Um, and, and, and that's not, that's not challenged. That is not something that the radical left can change. There are only two sexes, and it is by the union of those two sexes that procreation happens. That is the reality of, of, of the, and if you try to change one to another, procreation cannot happen. And we can just go through all of these things. But it is as simple as that. And if we can't find enough GOP lawmakers and, as you say, you know, would-be executives, would-be president, presidents, and so forth, willing... Pete, you still there? I think we lost Pete. 
Yeah, he, we did. We lost his call. Let's let's reconnect with Peter because I want to get him his final thought on this before we move on uh, to a couple of other topics. In fact, let's do this since it's ten twenty two. It's a perfect break uh, time for a break. Anyway, we'll take our time out here. We'll get Kirsenau back on the line, and we'll finish that part of our conversation and move on next. Always right radio. Okay, ten twenty six. Back with Kirsenau, Pete. I'm not exactly sure when the phone dropped out. <clears throat> But I was uh, responding to your last comments about the need for the um, uh, members of Congress, Republicans in Congress, and also the would-be executives, the would-be presidents, to do something as basic and simple as, as affirm biology. You know, the, how is this something that is really that objectionable? Just say, wait a minute, radical leftists, there are only two genders. There are males and there are females, and that is it. And anything else that you are trying to do to weaken the protection of females by way of Title IX, by suggesting that some males get female protection, uh, it's just lunacy. I don't understand why that would be something so difficult for them to adopt, Pete. Yeah, the only thing I can say, Bob, is it must be some kind of miscalculation combined with cowardice, because this is a 70 to 80 percent issue at minimum. You've got Democrats, yeah. Yeah. Republicans, independents all in favor of this. Everybody has a kid, everybody has, who has relatives who are in school. Oh, you know, this is overwhelmingly supported. That is the opposition to these new regs or the idea of having men and women showering together and i mean all of that stuff it's a losing issue for the left but they continue to promote it because they understand something that we don't that is if you keep pressing on something eventually you may get your way and you can actually change the perception of reality if not reality i mean i didn't know 1984 orwell's 1984 was not supposed to be an instruction manual but here we are I think most of your listening audience, because I've talked to so many of them, you know, we are kind and tolerant and accommodating and respectful, but without denying truth and reality. You cannot do, you cannot honor somebody and be respectful if you, if your respect is couched in a falsehood. That's, 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 in fact, that's disrespectful. You cannot go around for and say that biological males and biological females are the same and should be treated for purposes of modesty and sports and, and uh, you know, showering and all those other things as the same. That is lunacy, but we're adopting that kind of lunacy. And I think, you know, there have been a number of studies with respect to or, or uh, analyses that predate us by more than 100 years as to where the left is going and how they will do it by breaking down these kinds of norms. We saw this in the Soviet Union. When you break down these kinds of norms, it makes it that much easier to break down other barriers, economic barriers to advancing the socialist or communist agenda, etc. And I don't mean to be, you know, waxing uh, hysterical about this, but it's an overarching agenda. But focusing solely on this particular issue, that is the lowering of standards for sexual harassment claims, for also the uh, commingling of the sexes when it comes to bathrooms and showers, and even in sports competition, that's the kind of thing that sane people, people who are mature and understand the ramifications of engaging this kind of science denial, what those kinds of things will do to our society. And the, the vanguard, the bulwark, are parents. Parents are saying no mas to this kind of stuff, and Republicans need to go along. That's where the votes are. If, you care, if you're just crass and looking at political calculation, that's where the votes are. And in fact, if they would talk it up, and I don't mean artificially, but if they address the issue forthrightly, they would find overwhelming support because, again, most voters live in the fact-based reality that we have two sexes. Man is a man, a female is a female, no matter what you may want to think or how you dress. 
And there are also uh, ramifications for not addressing that the right way. And we're seeing some of the, frankly, perversion with respect to, you know, the, uh, uh, these uh, drag uh, um, drag queen uh, story shows hours. For, right, right. I mean, this is this is nuts. This is yeah. you know, sheer lunacy. And I think people of goodwill yeah. who respect people across the board, people of goodwill, protect the kids under all circumstances. Well, I couldn't I could not agree with you more, Pete. And I'm glad you mentioned DeSantis doing that. He isn't just making speeches about it. He has enacted policy after policy after policy <clears throat> in his state in order to make that happen. I would hope that would lead other individuals, uh, Republicans, uh, into following suit. We'll take a time out here, Pete. We'll come back and talk about why Mexico has put a piece of the Berlin Wall next to the portion <laughs> of the Trump border wall that we built. And we'll also talk more about the pandemic. Will the, the uh, radical leftist government we are currently operating under or living under uh, will they try to force us into Plandemic 2.0? We'll talk about that with Kirsten now next as well. AM 1420, The Answer. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1035, we continue now with Peter Kersenow on this Tuesday morning. Pete, listen. Cold War era message for the United States and its border wall. The Mexican government has just put up a slab of the Berlin Wall in Tijuana, steps from the U.S.-Mexico border. In text below the relic, Tijuana's mayor writes, quote, May this be a lesson to build a society that knocks down walls and builds bridges. East Germany originally put up that wall in 1961 to trap its citizens behind the Iron Curtain. Mexican officials installed it as the U.S. tries to curb the surge of migrants from the south, more than 180,000 encountered in July alone. President Biden halted border wall construction his first day in office, but the U.S. is fulfilling some contracts to fill gaps in spots. All right, Peter Kersenow, so there you have it. The Mexican government mocking the United States by putting a portion of the Berlin Wall there and obviously comparing it to the border wall that Trump started to build, uh, which did not get anywhere near uh, complete, of course. Uh, one of the other things the mayor of Tijuana said was, quote, why in Tijuana, how many families have shed blood, labor, and their lives to get past the wall? The social and political conflict is different than the Berlin Wall, but it's but it's a wall at the end of the day, and a wall is always a sphinx that divides and bloodies nations. Peter Kersenow, your response? Well, my response is, and I've been saying this for a while, is I think one of the things that I wish Trump was able to do, and he tried very hard to do it, but uh, Congress wouldn't go along with it, would not give him the funding for it. He had to raid other sources of revenue in order to build the a little bit the limited amount of the wall that he did but uh we need a wall for up to curse and i'd have a 30-foot wall with moats and alligators and machine gun turrets this is the united states of america it is the most welcoming country in the history of the world we have a front door that allows almost anybody to enter other than terrorists and criminals and people carrying disease. You can get into this country very easily if you follow the process and at least respect our rule of law. Not difficult at all, but instead 
in the last two years, we've had upwards of 7 million people cross that border at the invitation of the Biden administration in an effort to change the demographics of the country and to establish a new voting base in a way that has harmed this country in incalculable fashion. They've allowed these individuals in without respecting the rule of law. Many of these individuals may be fine individuals, okay? But there are a lot of individuals that are coming in. First of all, we have a double standard. We have to, for example, under most circumstances that, develop, that require occupations and uh, you know, security clearances and travel, we've got to produce all kinds of paperwork, including vaccination records, etc. These folks who don't, aren't even citizens, don't have legal entitlement to the United States of America to enter the United States of America, don't have to produce those things. And they can go to school without producing any kind of ID or vaccination records, yet we have to produce those things. This is not tenable. You can't continue to do this and purport to have a country under any circumstances. So I'm in favor of, as I said, building a wall. I think that we should tell the Mexican president and everybody else who doesn't like that to, you know, stick it where, you know, wherever. And we're going to respect the sovereignty of the United States of America. And I wish this was one of the top one or two things on Republicans' agenda. Because if you don't have a border, you don't have a country. What are they running for? I mean, they're running for it to be a representative of the United States of America. And the United States of America slowly is being erased. And all due respect to the illegal immigrants coming over, okay? And again, I say due respect. We're not getting the best and brightest from these countries. We used to have a process by which we could, you know, we were a very welcoming country. We welcomed millions upon millions of refugees. You know, we love immigration. It's a country of immigrants to a large extent. It is. But, you know, it's through that process. And what we've got here are people who are disrespecting the rule of law. We don't know who's coming into the country. They are not um, people who necessarily contribute. They have absorbed many of them. I don't want to paint a broad brush, but many of them have absorbed the the telegraphing of the message that uh, the, the left has been doing, that if you come to this country, we're going to take care of you, provided that, you know, when, when circumstances permit, you follow our agenda. They may not be able to vote immediately, but believe me, the left is working hard on doing that. And yes, the bottom line here is change the demographics of the country to change the culture of the country and the manner in which we, we process, um, <clears throat> excuse me, process our, our, uh, our, our, frankly, our politics. And number two is eventually they want to change this, change these individuals into citizens, into voting citizens. And if they reach a critical mass, everyone knows that's what the Democrats are going to try to do. They are harming the country in so many ways. And, you know, I have written extensively on just one aspect of this. I've written on a number of aspects, but the one aspect that I think Republicans need to address immediately, just from a standpoint of electoral advantage. Again, I don't care if they, these individuals, if they're looking out only for their own self-interest, this is in their self-interest. Point out the fact that millions upon millions of low income Americans are being palpably harmed by this massive influx of illegal immigrants. And most notably, and I've written extensive papers on this, are black Americans, especially black males who compete with illegal aliens in the same workforce and get beat out by illegal aliens because illegal aliens to a large extent, there are a number of factors, but you know, if they're working on a job site, they're less likely to report uh, abuse to the EEOC, wage and hour division of the Department of Labor, et cetera, et cetera. So, this is something that needs to be done if we're going to have a country at all. And unfortunately, I don't think our leaders, to the extent we have any anymore, are alert to the nature, the, the devastating nature of the change. And you can see it 
not just on the southern border. If you visit there, you see it's, it's incredible. But go to almost every major metropolitan city. Cleveland, to some extent, has been insulated from it. But almost every other major metropolitan city has tens of thousands of homeless, many of whom are illegal immigrants. They've got tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are living in the shadows, as they like to say, but living in an alternate economy that are engaged in crime, engaged in all types of other things that do not advance the prospects of the United States of America. So anyway, I'm babbling on about this, Bob, but this is a big deal. It's one of the top two or three issues in the upcoming election, and Republicans better get mad and mean about this and fight to protect the United States of America. Well... First of all, you're not babbling. You just had a lot to say. This, on the other hand, is babbling. This is our diver, uh, diversity hire uh, press secretary. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. Pete, in two and a half years of whoppers coming from that uh, that podium, first with the uh, propaganda patty, uh, Jen Psaki, and then since uh, Kareen took over, um, this might be the biggest one. This might be the biggest gaslighting lie that has come from that podium in the entire two and a half years of Biden so far. Let's hear it again. The president has done more to secure the border and to deal with this issue of immigration than anybody else. He really has. What has he done, Peter Kirsenow? Well, I, mean, I, I don't understand. She says that, you know, with a straight face. Well, you... You would think it was a straight face if you could see her eyes because she's always constantly reading every single line from that great big giant binder of hers because uh, she cannot think on her feet. But nonetheless, she said it, and she said it, and she meant it, that this president has done more to secure the border than anyone else has. He really has. How do you respond to somebody like that? Well, I look at it from a different perspective. I, even a liar like KGP or any of the other people in the Biden administration who are gaslighting us to death would not dare do so unless they had the complicity of the mainstream media behind them. It is an abomination that you had all those people sitting in that room and 50 people didn't jump up and say that's an outright lie or give us proof of that or that he's done just the opposite of that. The fact that they sit there like little lemmings and absorb this giant manifest lie tells you where the media is today and how corrupt it is. You know, you could go through so many different instances where the Biden administration has done things, has lied, has done things that hurt the United States of America, where you have graphic evidence of that damage, and yet the media ignore it. They, they, they will instead shift to some other issue that makes Republicans look bad. Now, the media always did that for the last 40, 50 years. 50 years or so, but it went into overdrive during the Trump administration, and now it's on steroids. They do everything they can to protect this president and this agenda. That's what's most important. They don't care about Joe Biden. It's this agenda. And they do it for two reasons. Number one, they're ideologically predisposed to do it, but number two is they're morons. A lot of them are too stupid to understand that the United States of America is being harmed, sometimes in irreversible fashion, by the things that are happening here in the United States today, whether it's the economy, whether it's foreign policy. But this border issue is one of those issues because it affects almost every other issue. We have, you know, did anybody in that room ask her about the 100,000 fentanyl deaths every year? Did anybody ask, how do you have that? How do you have the, the, the you know, Department of Human, I, look, I correspond with these folks very often. The, the Department of Homeland Security, their own data shows that we are in extraordinary circumstances in a, in a place unparalleled in the history of the United States of America. At bare minimum, bare minimum, what we have is seven to eight million people have crossed that border. That doesn't include the gotaways. 
That doesn't include the Godaways. That includes people who presented themselves for processing because they know this administration will simply release them into the interior of the country and they're off on their own. They'll have a hearing date 20 years from now and they won't show for that. Of course not. So this is so, what's incredible here is the damage that's being done to our country. It's almost irreversible. Now, I think the United States of America is a, is a tremendous place that can you know uh, confront almost any kind of problem and damage. But when you start having, as I said, bare minimum seven to eight million people that are acknowledged, which probably means it's 12 million people or more coming into the United States. And we don't know who they are. We do know that hundreds, if not thousands, Chinese nationals, males, eight males have crossed that border. We do know that a lot of people from Iran have crossed that border. We know a lot of North Koreans have crossed that border. Why? Because they're going to work at the Ford plant? I doubt that seriously. So, you know, the, the, it only took 19 people to bring down the, the the Twin Towers, hit the Pentagon, et cetera. Uh, I'm very concerned about, and I'm not the only one, a number of people, you know, Rick Grinnell's been on this, others have been on this, about what is happening here going beyond the economy, going beyond just simple social cohesion and the rule of law. But we are, you know, we're operating on borrowed time. I hate to be alarmist about this, but those are the facts. No, it, you, 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 it is alarming. Um I want to go back to the wall portion of this, though, which we started this conversation with, with that little chunk of the Berlin Wall and so forth. Um, is there any other way to say this, that Trump failed uh, when it came to the border wall? He came in, I think he failed in two ways. Number one, he came in saying, we're going to build a big, beautiful wall, and I'm going to make Mexico pay for it. He couldn't make Mexico pay for it. It was never real, but it's what he said, which is why people were reticent to give any money whatsoever from of our tax dollars. But still, Peter, the second way is he had a GOP Congress. He had a GOP yeah. House. He had a GOP Senate, and he couldn't get, what would it take? $10, $10 billion? How much have we spent? 110 120 140 I don't know how many billions we have sent to Ukraine for their border with Russia and other countries as well. We have sent money to other countries to secure their borders so that they don't get invaded by you know various uh, you know uh, terrorist organizations and so forth in the Middle East, uh, you know, up in, 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 uh, in Europe. We, we've done a lot of things like that, Peter, and, and it would have taken a tiny, tiny fraction of that just to build our wall here. And he couldn't even get his own party to come out of pocket yeah. for it in those first two years. So, I mean, of, of, of all of the problems we have had with this, I still haven't had anybody explain to me how the hell he failed to get at least enough money to build the wall uh, in at least the first two years while he was there. Yeah, I think, you know, he did fail. There's no doubt about that. But it wasn't from lack of trying, or at least maybe he didn't try enough, but he did try a number of different mechanisms. Remember, he tried to sequester a certain portion of military aid. He tried a number of mechanisms. And I'll say this about uh, Trump, and I think a number of people concur with this. Trump's quote-unquote failures were to a large extent the fact that the guy had never even been a dog catcher before he became president of the United States of America. He didn't know, you know, how the trains ran. He didn't know who to talk to very often. It took a while for him to get up to speed. It's not an excuse for Trump because he said he was going to build a border wall. He started to do so, and he did appropriate monies from other places because Congress wouldn't appropriate the money for him. But bottom line is he didn't get it done. I think next time, now he's a little bit more savvy. If he got reelected again, and who knows what will happen, I don't know. You know, I, I think that a DeSantis is savvy enough because he's been in those situations in the past. But, you know, um, I think he's going to try his best to get it done. I think he, he's going to have more experience and greater knowledge in terms of how to work the system to get it done. But you know what? Um, if Trump failed, we also failed. I know I did whatever I could for my little lowly position to make 
you know, I have no power whatsoever, but at least I can get the word out there. I think Americans need to put pressure on their elected representatives, mainly Republicans. Again, like you said, he had a Republican Congress, and he couldn't get it done. Right. Um, they've got to put pressure on these folks. The people who are losing jobs because of this, the people who have loved ones who are dead because of it, the people whose property is being overrun, the cities that are, 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 are overburdened, their school systems, their welfare systems, everything by this. Look at Chicago and New York. They're all screaming now, Okay. All these people have got to make, we're all Americans, and we've got to let this president know, for example, Biden, and again, the guy's out to lunch, but every elected representative has to be pressured to preserve the integrity of the United States of America, to safeguard our freedoms and safeguard our way of living and standard of living. And they're not doing it. I don't know what the heck they're doing. And we have to get, as I say in you know, the famous movie, Outlaw You'll see Wales. We've got to get plum, mad dog, mean, and use every avenue to make the administration, make elected representatives know that this is priority one, if not priority one, priority one or two. You've got to get this done because we don't have a country if we don't have borders. Yeah, no question about it. And uh, and I am I'm still very very frustrated by the fact that we didn't get that uh, funded in full for those first two years. And yep. I think like I said, yep. it's because, you know, a lot of a lot of the people threw his words back in his face saying, "What do you mean? Why are you asking us for funding? You said you'd make Mexico pay for it. Let's see you work your magic here." So, I think that hurt a lot and hopefully uh, and by yep. the way, the worst part about all of this is the 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 steel that did get funded and get purchased and brought to the desert and ready to go before Trump ran out of time was still laying there and is still laying there right now and it's being auctioned off by the Biden administration for pennies on the dollar, which means that if Trump is able to get back into office or somebody is who has a mind to build that wall, we have to start over again as far as the funding goes because there's a ton of that that is still laying there that could be used. Um, you know, all they got to do is take those, uh, the, those, those beams that are, or these tubes that are laying there on the, in the desert now, stand them up, stand them up. Make them vertical, and we continue to extend the wall. But now this is all being sold off, and when it starts over, it's going to have to be, you know, you know, the cost is going to go right, right from the... Uh, from and, Bob, the time to start these things is right now. All the folks listening, and they know this because I've talked to them in the individual gatherings before, you got to pressure your elected representatives now. Tell them to do it right now. So when Trump or DeSantis or somebody else comes into office, they are ready to go. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Pressure these folks. Let them know their electoral success depends on executing this. You know, and again, I'm not making excuses for Trump, but, you know, he was a novice. He had his hat handed to him, frankly, and it's the McConnells of the world who should be held to account. Where are these folks? You know, instead of freezing on camera, he should be moving 100 miles an hour to get the border wall funded. He should be making noise. I'm a big believer in using the bully pulpit, such as it is, that these individuals have, and make noise about it. Make it uncomfortable for the Dems and the left, because the vast majority of Americans support this. But you have to keep it in their face and understand that there are electoral consequences to not securing the border and help and, and not just securing our border, but protecting us from crime, from infra- infrastructure damage, from national security problems, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So these folks have to suffer in order for us to have a secure border. Peter, last thing for you, got about four minutes for this one. Um, is there any reason to believe we are not on our way back to lockdowns, on our way back to no, not forced masking, no, any, no. on our way back to uh, to mandated shots for federal workers and, and for people to travel and so on and so forth? Uh, Jill Biden just was diagnosed with COVID for the second time, despite all of the shots and boosters she's had. Peter, are we on our way back to this? 
Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about it. N- none whatsoever. And this was telegraphed a long time ago. This is part of the agenda. And for a number of reasons. This, I don't think there's one discrete reason why they're doing this. Some people are true believers. Some people think that it gives them the power to change society, which it really does. They saw the opportunity that manifested itself in the last election with all the drop boxes and mail ballot elections and, and et cetera, et cetera. And Democrats know that that's to their advantage. You and I had, I had a discussion in either March or April of 2020 when this was just beginning, and we talked about the fact that this was the overarching political agenda, that is, to make the voting process such that it advantaged Democrats in so many ways. And uh, Chris Adams was on your show a few times when I was hosting, talking about all of the changes to the electoral process, and not just the changes, but the the violations of existing norms when it came to uh, elections that advantaged the Democrats drastically. I think they're going to do this, but in addition to electoral advantage or electoral mischief that's going to be involved is there is a mindset among many, I'm not talking about all Democrats at all, but there's a mindset among many that likes to, frankly, enforce their norms on society. They like to control society, and they see this as the optimal manner in which to do so, dealing with schools and travel and even access to jobs, that you've got to hew to what they say. They like doing those kinds of things. They like giving orders. That's what the left likes to do. They like uniformity and conformity, and if you don't do so, you're going to get punished. School closures, we saw the extraordinary damage that's being done there. The masking, you know, Bob, I wore a mask for, I think, the first day, and I said, well, you've got to be kidding me. This is a joke. It's like putting up a chain-link fence to keep mosquitoes off your property. This is nuts. This is sheer lunacy. And I, I decided, and I think a lot of your listeners decided, we're going to use our brains. We will listen to medical advice. We will discern from the medical, medical advice that's rendered whether it's worth following or not, because we are individuals in the United States of America. We get to make our own decisions. But the nuttiness that pervaded over you know, the course of 2020, 2021, that kind of stuff, they're going to try it again, but we must resist mightily because our freedoms are being eroded, but more, maybe just as important, our common sense is being assaulted. Absolutely right. Peter Kersenow, saying it like only he can. Peter, always appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Keep up the great work. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Bob. That's Kersenow. It's 1056. Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. We're going to go local next segment. One particular out of many school districts in serious trouble because of wokeness and attacking our children in a variety of different ways uh, is Metter. Metter Schools is a mess. And there are two would-be school board members who are going to be joining me next who might have the policy prescription to fix it. We're going to talk to them. Stay here on Always Right Radio. To support AM Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. 
you and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Eight minutes after 11 o'clock. And uh, hour number three is underway. Thanks for being with us. It's a Tuesday, the fifth morning of the ninth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Thanks again to Peter Kersenow for uh, the phenomenal uh, information that he shared with us. And uh, we've got a lot still to do in this hour. Um, I want to talk local now. I, uh, about a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I had uh, Annie Payne on. Annie Payne at that time was a candidate for Mentor School Board. And she and a lot of others enlightened us to some of the unbelievable challenges that the students and the parents at Mentor Schools have uh, because of some of the extraordinarily dangerous woke policies put in place by Mentor administrators, apparently with the approval, if not at the direction of, current Mentor School Board members. And uh, Annie and I talked in, in some depth. Uh, she, her own personal story uh, as well. And uh, she said she's going to do something about it. And she is now a proud member of the Mentor School Board. Well, the school board is still in need of some reshaping and some reformation, if you will. And uh, there are two candidates that have been given some very, very strong endorsements by some people that I have a great deal of respect for. And I'm talking about uh, true family um, values-driven, conservative-minded Republican leaders and others across the state. The Lake County Republican Party, Robert Sprague, the treasurer, Josh Williams, a state representative, Steve Dimitru, a state representative, um, Jamie Callender, a state representative. And I can go up and down. There's a nice long list. The 1776 Project PAC, the American Union PAC. They have all decided to come out in strong support of two members who are kind of running a a tandem campaign. They're not running on their own. They're running as a pair, which, when added to Annie Payne, could give the majority in the Mentor School Board that is needed to try to bring some sanity and some education back to a district which has fully embraced, uh, dare I say, indoctrination. Uh, Those two members are on the line with me right now. Gil Martello and Rose Iapolo, if I'm saying both of your names correctly, and I hope that I am. Gil, good morning. Thank you for being with us here on AM 1420. The answer, how are you? Very good, Bob. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us on A your pleasure. show this morning. A pleasure. And Rose, yours was the last name I wanted to, I, I was taking a shot at there. Did I say it correctly? Well, you were close. It's Iopolo. Iopolo. Okay. Wrong emphasis Iopolo. on the wrong syllable, but thank you. <laughs> right. So Rose Iopolo. Don't worry, Bob. I had a- I'm with that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. I don't feel so bad. So thank you both for coming on. This is such a such an important thing. Obviously, there are a lot of school districts going through a lot of struggles with a lot of things that a lot of you know parents are concerned about. Uh, like I said, family values being tossed out in favor of the overt sexualization of children, miseducation and indoctrination of kids along some of those lines. And uh, But Mentor is one of the biggest and, uh, and one of the most problematic, so I'm so glad to have you guys on. Gil, let me just start with with you and ask um, what is or what was your impression of the way men or schools were being run that made you decide I'm going to pull a ballot here and I'm going to and I'm going to enter this race there's a number of issues Bob um, I'm a stakeholder in the city of Mentor. Um someday I'd like to retire and mentor and 
I'm seeing a lot of, excuse me one sec. I'm seeing a lot of things go on that I'm not in agreement with. I don't believe the value, I, I don't believe a lot of decisions the school board have made represent the values of mentor. Um, many voters in the, um, I believe many voters in the district also believe the school is trying to insert itself as the moral compass of the students coming be- between in between the relationship they have with their child. And I have had numerous conversations with many parents that are, are at a crossroads what to do. Do they go to private school? Do they go to homeschooling? I firmly believe the public education, we need a viable, uh, secured public education system in our city. It is the foundation that businesses draw on to support their goals. And um, I don't believe that's occurring right now. Gil, give me an example, if you would, of of um, the schools trying to come between the students and their parents. Uh, there's probably think. many. Yeah, there's probably many from the things that I have learned and the things that I have heard from people who are parents in that district. But just since you brought it up, I wonder if there's one example that you can give uh, where it appears in like a me, this is not unique to Mayor at all. This is sadly happening right. in schools across Ohio and across the country. But but in your case, go ahead. I, I think the social emotional learning is a threat. Some people perceive it as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to be, like I said, the moral compass, and that is detracting away from the school's objectives to teach the ABCs, which is quite critical. And there's a lot of issues of uh, morality and sexuality that are being discussed that violate a family's belief. Okay. Um, and these, my daughter has brought home many opinions that she's heard in school that I, I am, you know, everything from global, you know, climate change to uh, boys entering, biological boys entering the women's restrooms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there, there's huge conflicts between. Just out of curiosity, what level is your daughter? Is it elementary, junior high, high school? No, she's she's a junior at the high school. She's a junior year. at the high school. Okay, so she's been yeah. through a lot of this already. Let me move over now to uh, Rose Iopolo. I said it right that time. Rose, um, you did. Let's let's let me ask you a, a, a little bit about the same thing that I just asked Gil. Um, what have you seen, or what parents have you spoken to that have given you um, such a <clears throat> such an outrage over this to the point where you felt like I can't just go to the current school board members; I have to become a school board member um thanks bob for having me once again you know this is this is an honor and i I apologize if i'm a little nervous but um you know what really you know i have four kids last year all four were in the district um one graduated so i've got three i've got one in the elementary and two in the high school this year you know what i was seeing i see a lot of wonderful things i just want to make that clear mentor district is amazing we moved here we are um, put in roots and we send our kids here because it's really an amazing school. And I actually have a unique um, experience. I'm a substitute teacher in the district. So I'm inside and I get to see really what an amazing school school we have. But what we're seeing seeping in, and I, I, I blame some of the um, far left uh, school board members right now, 
Um, we're seeing things like, you know, spending $125,000 of taxpayer money on books for kids ages 6 to 10 that has just got really heavy uh, content, you know, pushing for activism, um, Black Lives Matter, police brutality, um, and just content that, while is important to teach our kids, um, it's one, it's too heavy for young kids age 6 to 10, and it's also a parent's right to decide when they want to incorporate these topics to their kids. So I, when I saw that, and, and, you know, we all went to school board meetings to talk and to kind of express our feelings about that, it, they were ignored. So um, that's, that's just one example of why I felt like, well, if, if we're not going to be heard, um, something needs to change, you know. So that, that's really what made me step up. So um, why do you suppose things, well, let me rephrase. When do you think things really changed? When did things go from being good, mentors a good school district, good, school, good policies, good leadership, and so forth, to this indoctrination, to the social-emotional learning that Gil spoke of, to the you know, Black Lives Matter and CRT and the things that you're talking about? When did all of this start, do you think, that, uh, you know, that got us to where we are today? Bob, if COVID, I, I was as tragic, tragic as it was, um, I lost family and friends, all right? The silver lining to COVID was parents got a glimpse into what was going on in the classrooms. Yeah. And this phenomenon that's going on in Mentor right now is happening all across the country, where parents are finally getting a glimpse as to what is being taught to their children. So I would have to say for those for this curriculum, this line of thought, it probably started, you know, five or six years ago before COVID. Yeah. But now things have things have come to a head. That's the, re- that's the reason away. I asked, because I want to figure out, Gil, if this is temporary if this is something that you know that maybe did just start around the time of covid and now you got a chance to see what was on your kids computer screens going on in their classes and everything else you're right this was revealed across the country so if this is a temporary thing where you know a return to some normalcy in education is on the horizon or if this is the way it's going to be until radical changes are made including getting rid of the board members that are allowing these things to go on i i believe it was there was an agenda in place probably 10, 15 years ago, this is my belief, watching the news, that, again, wasn't exposed till people sat behind their kids' computer screens, <clears throat> excuse me, and saw what was going on. See, agenda, Gil, agenda is an important word there because that would imply somebody is behind it. Somebody is driving it. It's not something that happened organically where this just happened, that just happened, and things started to go in a certain direction. So if there's an agenda, who's behind it? Yeah, I'll you know, take that. I, I, it, it, go ahead, let, me, let me just take that real quick. I think that it starts with giving a, um, a little bit too much rope to to staff that want to and an administration who are kind of slowly seeping in their their personal political beliefs and ideologies in and the more they try it the more it's, and then it's, it's allowed and again that all starts from the top down from the school board mm-hmm. um that, that they they continue to to uh, you know encroach on that and um we've gotten to a point now where they by our current school board do you know, some of, some of the classes, my kids took a um, history class and didn't learn a lot about history, but sure learned a lot about how awful Trump was and, you know, 
things like that, which, you know, that's not what we're sending our kids to school for. And I really think that it's literally, it's, it's personal, and it's not everybody. It's a very small percentage, I believe, of, of the, uh, some of the staff in schools. But, you know, they, they, they've, they've just been given free reign, and that needs to stop. So, Rose, tell me what you're telling parents then. What are you telling parents will be different if you and Gil are successful in getting onto this school board? What what will you be able to change? Well, first of all, we want to, you know, the, the job of the school board is to set policy and to hire uh, the superintendent and the CFO. So what we would do is there's a lot, there's a lot of issues going around, like, some of these social issues that are clogging um, our time and, and pulling focus from academics, uh, like the bathroom situation, um, that we would set policy and th- that's all you have to do. And, and then hold our superintendent accountable that to make sure the administration follows through with the, with the rules and the policy. And I think that will right. set a tone. So if there is any staff member that, you know, doesn't want to, doesn't want to abide by that then they may be that this isn't going to be the district for them. And, and it really comes down to, you know, a lot of the rules we have, like, for instance, dress code. We have a really great dress code um, policy, but we don't follow it, and we don't hold our, you know, administration to follow it. And I know that's difficult because, you know, it's very difficult for some administration to step up and say, hey, that's an inappropriate outfit. Um, then, it, then, then parents are complaining. I, I understand it's, it's walking a fine line, but we just have to create policy to, to – prevent these issues, and then we need to hold um, our staff and our parents accountable for the policies we do have. Gil, um, let me move back over. If you just turned us on, by the way, we are talking with uh, Rose Iopolo and Gil Martello, two candidates for Mentor School Board, two parents of kids in the Mentor Schools who are trying to do something about the extraordinary woke agenda that has been uh, discovered and being advanced uh, regularly on on the part of Mentor Schools. Um, Rose just said, you know, the job would be to establish policy. What kind of policy, though? Specific to, for example, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I like to say diversity, inclusion, and equity because it spells die. But um, that is that is pervasive in men or schools. Uh, does it include diversity of thought, Gil? And is that something that you can, from a school board position, try to include? Or, or what would be your policy on DEI? Well, It'd be, it's interesting you asked. I, I did a, a lot of reading, Bob, with regards to DEI in um, late spring. And they are, they're so, for lack of a better, they're social concepts. There's nothing definitive about them. They are, they are thoughts that are a work in progress. There's no, let's say you did have a DEI or an SDL program. There's no testing. There's no standard by which to judge your success. And furthermore, a lot of those programs, what I've read about and conversed with a number of people within our, our that are in, in opposition to our our platform, more or less, they agree there it is a work in progress. There's no definitive uh, result, and it gives license to those who want to abuse those uh, programs to falsely direct an agenda, a left-leaning agenda. And that's what we're concerned about. And there's only diversity of thought when it comes to their um, point of view. When there's a conservative point of view, that is, it's, it's called racist, it's called um, homophobic. Mm-hmm. But, we, you know, everybody has to be sensitive to, you know, the school district has to serve everybody. And that means you have to be sensitive to everybody's moral and religious beliefs. 
and and calling another's beliefs um, racist or homophobic is just wrong. Or in, in which a lot of those programs they tend to, that is the out, outshoot of or offshoot of their their presentation. Right, um, Gil, and and one. Let me follow up with you, and then I'll ask Rose kind of the same question. Um, when it comes to, the, for example, the diversity and the inclusion aspect of this, what is the current policy in many schools of males who identify as females and females identifying as males, or being both, or non-binary, or whatever, with respect to locker rooms, bathrooms, and so forth? Uh, are well, that are, are students and staff forced to use made-up pronouns or things that are not accurate uh, in the name of inclusion, in the name of diversity and support of these types of things? Is that what's going on well, right now? Let me address the core, my core concern All right. with the restroom issue. We do not have a specific policy, Bob. Um, and therefore, we're, all the students, the staff, and the parents are left in an untenable position. Um, so Personally, I fundamentally agree. Is, is it a free-for-all where everybody just goes yeah. where they want and does what they want? That's what I interpret. Uh, I, fundamentally agree with, uh, uh, I fundamentally disagree with the practice of allowing those who are tra- uh, transgendering access to restrooms not of their biological sex. You know, my daughter's right to privacy is being infringed upon. Sure. Um, again, this, the, the public education system has to serve all its students. Um, we don't have a policy, and by default, whatever gender a person identifies with on a given day, that's the restroom they use. Well, this, this again, let's set the transgender. So they do have a policy policy. then. Technically, they do have a policy by not identifying a policy, by not putting something in print and saying this is the deal. It's basically go where you want. The policy is that the transgender, you know, uh, phase or craze that is going on right now basically runs the show. They can go where they want, when they want, and all of the other students, well, inclusion doesn't work for them because their their beliefs and their comfort level and their privacy and so forth can be invaded and they have no say in it. That's my feelings. Okay. So that is where I'm at. Again, <clears throat> let, let, let's you know, ask we're Rose. letting... Let's ask Rose. Rose, uh, I got about three minutes left. Give give me okay. your impression of this and why it's so important to establish policy that actually returns, you know, norm norms. You know, whether they call it right. heteronor- heteronormative or whatever, but but the realities uh, to to the schools that they they used to be operating under. Okay. Well, first, first, I want to say, Bob, that you know this is a touchy subject, and I don't want to pretend to you know when you say it's a phase. I, you know, I'm I'm not in the homes of some of these families. Um, that have transgender students, and I'm not going to pretend like I understand the difficulties that, that they're going through. However, um, when you don't, like exactly what you said, by not creating a policy, you are setting a standard for the school. Um, and what they're doing now by leaving it open is in order to firm a fraction of a percent, because that's what it is, um, we're creating a new problem then in all the other students. So anxiety, stress, fear. And it's not necessarily that people think parents and students are worried that a transgender student is going to cause harm, but um, it's the unknown. You know, we have students who parents come to us and say their kids do not go to the restroom the entire day. You know, so you're, you're trying to fix one problem, very That's small, right. small problem, and then you're but by creating a new one. So yeah. we're not against anything. We're not trying to hurt any feelings. We understand there's not going to be a good solution to make everybody happy. But we just want um, all of our students to be safe, and we want to focus on academics because that is what is needed right now in Mentor. Um, there's like I, all those these wonderful things I mentioned, our fine arts program, our CTE program, our CARES Autism School. We have so many amazing things 
Um, our marching band is amazing. Our athletic program is one of the best public school programs in the state. We need to add elite education to that. And when we're, we're busying with, stre- you know, stressing kids out with these bathroom situations, they're not able to focus on, on education, on their work, you know. And, you're, you're 100% and, and, and right, that needs to stop. Yeah, it does. And uh, I, I completely understand exactly where you are coming from. And I know you speak for a lot of parents in Mentor and outside of Mentor who's, uh, who are concerned about what's happening to their schools as well. Let me close by asking, how can people who are interested in supporting the two of you for Mentor School Board do so? Okay, we well, have this on Facebook, okay. Rose and Gill, right? Uh, yep. And our website is... Um, Rose and Gill for schoolboard.org, and we have a fundraiser coming up on September 23rd in Menor, and um, we would love to see as many people as we can. It's a, a watch party for the Ohio State Notre Dame football game, so come wearing your best jersey and um, um, so we can meet you and um, you can support our campaign. So give those websites again just so people can catch that. Rose and Gill for School Board. Did I hear for- that right? Rose and Rose and Gill for the number four school uh, for And then the and then there's Facebook as well. Rose and Gill, look for Rose and Gill. That's where I actually am right now is on the on that Facebook page. So, uh, so Rose uh, Iapolo and uh, and uh, uh, Gill uh, Martello, I wish you both good luck in uh, in your race, not just for the school board, but in trying to rescue, uh, you know, your kids and the parents. Um, who, who are losing control of what their kids are allowed to be exposed to. I hope you're able to restore that. I hope your, your campaigns are successful. And I thank you both very much for coming on and for stepping up. Oh, thanks, Bob, for Bob, having thank us. You. Thank, thank you for having us. It's great, greatly appreciated. Thank you both. God bless you. We may talk again between now and Election Day. I think we may have to because these are, these are very important races. And I know there are others in districts around Greater Cleveland as well that we should probably pay attention to. So if you want to bring those to our attention, by all means, make sure you reach out. We'll be back. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Oh, my goodness. So many times I just need to remind people. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. That's the reality of it. Um, The teachers, the administrators, the board members in places like mentor schools need need that reminder. And um, not just there, but like I said, we're kind of focusing on them because of the uh, upcoming Board of Elections races there, and there's a couple of people who are going to try to do something about it. I find it really interesting that in the Mentor Schools, based on what I just heard from Gill and Rose, they are so dedicated to the agenda that they won't even announce that there's an agenda. Do you know what I mean by that? That's I asked them, what's the current policy? And they said, basically, there isn't one. It's a free-for-all. Kids go where they want. Boys go into girls' rooms. Girls go into boys' rooms. Uh, shower rooms, locker rooms. I have no idea. Are, are there forced pronouns? You know, and, and I understand Rose and Gil both trying to be diplomatic about it and saying, look, we're not, you know, trying to say we understand what's going on in any household where there's, you know, transing going on or whatever. We're not even going to begin to try to understand how, you know, difficult that is. We're not judging anybody. We just want the schools to be about education and not about that indoctrination. And they're right to say so. They're right to be able to expect, you know, um, that my kid go to school feeling valued. 
not feeling like they're not valued and that they're uh, they're bigoted if they don't want to call a boy a girl and a girl a boy or to call one person a boy one day and a girl the next because they said that I'm non-binary and my pronouns change by the day. Kiss my ruby red rear end on that. I'm not doing it. I'm not playing your game. I'm not participating in your delusion. I'm not participating in your in your self, um, you know, um, identification games. You know, you want to play charades, do it at home. Here, we're going to call you what you are, and we're not going to put you be a part of this. And kids should not be forced to do that. And it should not be disruptive of the learning environment. But most clearly, it is. Like I said, mentor isn't. I'm going to say they're not. They're unique in some respects. But this is, and I think Gil pointed that out, Gil Martello pointed that out, this is going on all over the country, and clearly it is. So one by one, district by district, board by board, that's the only way we can approach it, right? It's the only way we can try to fix it. There's no magic wand that's going to say, okay, this massive phase of of transing that we're going through, and, that, and this is, by the way, this is a moment in time that if history books are allowed to be written, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. If history is allowed to be recorded, this, will be, this, this period of time will be recorded and it will not speak favorably of us. The history will record that this was a time, an age of insanity, an age of, of psych, psychological contagion, Social contagion and psychological delusion that was actually affirmed by medicine in the, in the age. Where psychological conditions were treated with surgical mutilation. And little children born boys and girls were told at the age of three that you can be the other one. And to be raised and dressed and treated in such, such a way. This this moment in time will not be recorded fondly by future historians. It will be representative of, of one of the most insane times in all of human history, much less American history. I mean, it, it, is, that, it is that bad. And the only thing we can do, since we can't wave a wand and say, all of this is fixed now, little by little, board by board, district by district, school by school, eventually state by state, like they're moving this crap out of Florida, thanks to Governor DeSantis. Little by little, we have to try to push back on all of these things to return to some sense of biological, scientific, and psychological norm- nor- normalcy. That's what has to happen, little by little. And that means getting people like Gill and Rose elected to their school boards. All right. Uh, Larry is in uh, Akron. Hi, Larry. Thanks for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. How you doing, that, Bob? Good, Larry. Uh, you know, I have two daughters, two granddaughters, and if they were still in school, I would refuse to let them participate in any sports because what's the purpose? They won't win any awards or any scholarship because of the transgenders taking over everything. So my suggestion is all the young ladies band together and and, and um, just say we're not going to participate. 
you know, you're right. That is the way to do it. Um, I remember, you know, watching the Leah Thomas stuff play out, you know, the, with the NCAA swimming, and I just wish all of the other girls on their blocks, as right, right as the uh, as the horn sounded to to launch into the water, that all of them just stood up and got down as as uh, as he swam by himself. That's the best way to do things like this, but it's very very hard to get everybody to agree, particularly from different schools where they're not friends. You know, they just know each other as competitors, but to get everybody to convince to convince everybody to do it is uh, is a really really tough ask but i like the yeah, idea no. but i like the idea oh, yeah. Larry. you're 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 smart you're right you're on it because if they refuse to compete then suddenly that that has to be addressed it, oh it, yeah it'd it, be addressed real quick yeah it would be but uh, like i said you know as long as two or three of them are willing to compete then it's gonna it's gonna defeat it it would have to be a very very strong united front and i hope yeah. there's somebody with the courage to try to do that and unify these girls you really want to take your sports back. You want to take your opportunities back for yourselves and stop the boys from coming over here and, and taking over here. Then, you know, you need to stand up and, and be strong like a strong woman should. And hopefully they're going to do that. That's correct. Good call, my friend. Thank you, Larry. God bless you. Uh, Andy, next. Andy, go ahead. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Andy. Uh, before we get started anymore, uh, Take somebody, if all your listeners got to take 30 seconds out of the 24 hours and say a prayer for Dr. Tenpenny having that stroke. I, I just found out about that last night. Yes. Yeah, I, just, I did too. And I, I just, don't know uh, anything else. We, we need her in our corner. Amen. You know, he's just like, you're the voice of sanity and common sense. And so is she. She's got us on the right track. And God bless her. And then just, you know, 30 seconds out of 24 hours isn't asking too much. Yeah. Well, to be truthful, Andy, uh, I, I wasn't going to bring it up because I didn't, you know, I, I don't know who knows, and I didn't want to violate her privacy and talk about her condition. Uh, I just found out about it last night, and I was going to wait until I can talk to her directly before I really talked about it. But uh... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.